As Andy said, our scripture reading today is taken from Numbers chapter 6, beginning at verse 22 through 27. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his son, saying, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So, shall the, so they shall put my name on the children of Israel and I will bless them. It seems about as obscure as you can get. Uh, it's in a book that uh, usually when people read the title, they just go ahead and skip over. Numbers, I got enough problems with numbers, with bills and with uh, taxes and with uh, counting anyways. I have a friend who I'm giving a gift to in the next few days even. Who, uh, his, uh, it's a shirt and it says five out of four people have problems with math. And uh, uh, he's actually really good at it, but uh, um, uh, Numbers, it's a very obscure title to a very obscure book. And chapter 6, uh, especially 22 through 27, is, just seems kind of like an obscure place. It's not the beginning of a chapter. It's not uh, this, this, this great transition into another portion of the text. It's just right there. Uh, if you would please, if you haven't, turned to number 6. This is where we are going to be this morning. And even though it is in an obscure book, in an obscure place, in an obscure book, it is the most well-known blessing in the Old Testament. Very quickly, as we begin, think about the book of Numbers and how it begins. In chapters 1 and chapter 2, God has commanded Moses to take a census and to arrange the Israelites to position themselves around the tabernacle. They are about to go to war. At least that's the intention. You have to read the rest of the book of Numbers to find out what happens. In chapters 3 and 4, the Levites are given special orders about the service that they will render to the people in the tabernacle and then later in the temple. In chapter 5, you have God emphasizing the need for holiness and purity and faithfulness in order to be near to Him. And chapter 6 opens up with this Nazarite vow that you sometimes will hear about where there's this special dedication for a certain amount of time from some people who, who want to show their faithfulness to God in a very unique way. And in fact, the entire book of Numbers opens in such a beautiful way. Because at the end of Deuteronomy, sorry, at the end of uh, uh, Exodus, you have the temple or the, the tabernacle erected. You have the, uh, the glory of the Lord filling that place to where nobody was able to enter in. And God speaks to the people from the tabernacle. He speaks to Moses from the tabernacle in the, in the end of Exodus. Leviticus is all about how can an unholy people approach a holy God. And they go through all of these kinds of events and there is, is a, a day of atonement that takes place and there is all these things of dedication that the book of Leviticus would, would set up for their religious calendar for these Hebrews. 
and they would set it up in such a way where even before they could start this calendar, the priest had to be dedicated and go through this seven-day-long excursion. But it all pays off because Numbers opens with the phrase, notice this, in Numbers 1, the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, in the tent of meeting. You have from the tent of meeting at Exodus and in the tent of meeting here in Numbers. How can an unholy people approach a holy God? Study Leviticus sometime and you'll find out for what it took for these people to be able to to go into God's presence in a unique way. But they are about to enter the land. These are people on a border And these are people who have an opportunity to go and to conquer a land that was promised to their forefathers. Like I said, you have to read the rest of the book of Numbers to find out it doesn't quite go that way at first. There's got to be 40 years of pain and suffering because of some faithlessness, a faithless generation. But number six, after that Nazarite vow, you have... The Lord, in verse 22, spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them. And it's the most well-known blessing in the Old Testament. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Why here? Why now? Some, uh, as soon as these words were spoken, they began to be cherished. As soon as these words were written, they began to be remembered. This blessing is something that over the ages people have sung hymns to and praised God for and pleaded with God to bless them. But these people, you think about this, has, have just left a horrendous state of living in slavery and are now heading to a land of powerful enemies. God has sent, set his camp of protection over them and has geared them up and gotten them ready for battle. He has given charge for them for faithfulness and purity in his camp. But now he gives assurance. He gives hope and he gives expectation. And our task this morning is just to look closely at this hymn, this blessing And to think carefully about the words that are spoken. Notice very quickly, number one, the giver. It begins, the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Notice that it is the Lord who is the giver. Each line in this section, if you have a Bible that divides up the poetry in such a beautiful way where you see the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, He is the one who is blessing. He is the one who is giving. He is the one who makes His face to shine. He is the one who is gracious. This is the one who makes sure that all blessings flow. And it really is true that this removes any false giver of blessing. You think about the transition that these people are going through where they were encouraged all through their lifetime to worship the God of the Egyptians instead of the Lord. 
You think about how in the wilderness, just not some time short before this, they were encouraged to worship a golden calf from someone who's supposed to be a priest of the Lord. You think about this, and these are people who are about to go into a land full of all sorts of different gods, idols, who the people of the land have been serving for generation upon generation. And what this reminder does is it simply tells the people who it is who has really given them everything. The Lord gives to all. It's not the God of the Egyptians. It isn't the golden calf. It isn't the God of the Canaanites or the surrounding nations. It is Yahweh, Jehovah God. He alone. And He blesses them. It really is amazing when you think about the way this is set up in Hebrew, <clears throat> as I understand it, uh, you look at the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, <coughs> and you separate that out three times, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, and there's 12 words left. Uh, some fancy people like to count and say, well, that's the 12 tribes of Israel. I don't know, but I do know this, that anytime you see something three times in Scripture, it's important, isn't it? Holy holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It's the only time we see something three-peated about God, but here we see him three-peated. The Lord bless you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. It is all about the Lord. And in fact, not only is this all about the Lord, look at what the text says. Look carefully. It says, the Lord, verse 22, spoke to Moses, saying, speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them. Think about this for just a moment. Our term bless you in society has kind of just become this, this kind term. Uh, in fact, you know, people will say different things like bless you or gazuntide or whatever. Um, and it just has become this, this phrase uh, that we use. It doesn't really have a lot of meaning. But when we think about what is going on here, this is something that, that the Israelites didn't come up with themselves, say, well, we're going to pray for you, which is a good and wonderful thing. But this is something that the Lord commands Moses to command the priests to do. The Lord says, I want to bless these people. I want to bless them. And so this is what you'll say to them so that I will bless them. And so that they will know that I will bless them. The Lord gives to all. All of these people, uh, you shall bless the people of Israel. And then notice verse 27. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel. And I will bless them. Over all, God is blessing all the people of Israel all the children of Israel. But when you look at verse 24, verse 25, and verse 26, although verse 23 and verse 27 talks about all of the people, 24, 25, and 26 speaks to the individual. The Lord bless you, singular, and keep you, singular, 
The Lord make his face to shine upon you, singular, and be gracious unto you, singular. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you, singular, and give you peace, singular. Not only is God concerned with his people as a whole, but each and every individual of God's children he wants to bless. The giver is the Lord But number two, notice that he is the blessed giver. The Lord bless you. The idea of blessing, uh, again, it's it's one of those things where where it's easy for us to to, to kind of generalize this term and to maybe overuse it. Uh, It's hard for us to imagine sometimes uh, saying that some of the fast food and some of the stuff we eat are blessings, although they may kind of give us some energy. How much nourishment? You know, I don't know. We can talk about a lot of things in our lives that are blessings and that are just kind of these little niceties of life. But when you are looking at the Old Testament and when you are looking at what it means for the Lord to bless His people, it carried over very specific connotations. It carries over specific connotations throughout. It wasn't just a generic God give you good thing and, 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 and God gives you a good life. God's blessings are tied to his promises and to his history. In Genesis chapter 9 and verse 1, in fact, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. In Genesis 28 and verse 3, God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. In Leviticus 26, if you were to take the time and just read the whole chapter, you will see over and over again all of these blessings that would come from God, including things like for the Israelites, rain for crops and a bountiful harvest, safety from enemies without and animals that were within, and the promise of God's presence and the, God, God, uh, the promise of God's love. That was what the blessing of God meant. The Lord bless you. In a word or two, it's about God's matchless generosity. God's matchless generosity. There is never a time where God can say, I'm I'm out of stuff to give. There's never a time where God can say, I don't have any more that I can give. In fact, so much has God given, we know that he's given his son. But you have this this blessed giver. God blesses us. He blesses his children here, the children of Israel in particular. The needs of the Israelites were met with abundant generosity. God loves to bless. He loves to give. Third, notice how the text continues, the Lord bless you and keep you. Not only is God the blessed giver, he is the faithful protector. He is the faithful protector. These are people who have experienced such a marvelous salvation from slavery and protection from all of these enemies. 
And God wasn't just going to leave them high and dry to fend for themselves as they enter into the promised land. In fact, Exodus 23 and verse 20, Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. The Lord bless you. Very quickly, look at the 121st Psalm. Look at Psalm 121. It's a very short psalm, just uh, uh, eight verses in length. What does it mean? What does it mean for the Lord to keep? Psalm 121 seems to hold the answer. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade. On your right hand, the sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. What does it mean where God is the one who keeps? He is the protector who provides when the sun is hot and the night is cold. He is the protector who provides when the enemies are all about. He is the protector, the faithful protector. And this blessing that God says, tell the children of Israel this, Jehovah blesses you and keeps you. He provides and he protects. But notice the Lord, verse 25, makes his face, make his face to shine upon you. Make his face to shine upon you. There is a term that we will sometimes use for, for folks who are, who are coming near to term for their baby to be delivered. We will say that they're glowing and you think about the joy that is inexpressible sometimes with, with a child coming into this world. And you think about this, this idea of God's face shining upon the children of Israel. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. Moses, in particular, would know what this kind of joy was like, wouldn't he? To be in God's presence in such a way, so much so that his face was, was changed for a time. And he had to cover his face when he came back to the Israelites because the glory of God was being reflected in his face. That's Exodus 34. God didn't just want a close relationship with Moses, though, while keeping the rest of the Israelites at arm's length. You guys stay over here. I've got my best friend over here. But the blessing that God pronounces to Israel is that he wants his face to shine on each and every one of them. Psalm 31 and 16 emphasizes this idea. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. It means that God is watching carefully. 
that even in the darkest night, God knows what's going on. His face is shining. He is carefully paying attention. He is showing love and joy and graciousness. It's about a joyful relationship. He makes his face to shine upon you. But notice not only does he consider this joyful relationship, not only does God bless them with a joyful relationship, continue on and be gracious to you. And be gracious to you. You have provision, bless you and keep you, and protection. And now coupled in verse 25, you have relationship and forgiveness. This idea of the Lord be gracious to you. You know, it wasn't long before this blessing that God was ready to strike the Israelites down because they were worshiping that golden calf. And Moses went to plead before God. And in fact, it is at that time he pleads before God and he goes back to the people and he goes up to the mountain and he makes the two tablets of stone again. And it's at that time, it's at that time that he comes back and his face shone. And God calls himself the God of everlasting kindness, steadfast and ready to forgive. God is ready to forgive. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. He's the ready forgiver. Verse 26, and the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. He's the comforting encourager. Turn his face toward you. Now, I want you to think about this for just a moment. Picture this idea of, because he's already said, make his face to shine upon you. But now he's saying in this blessing, turn his face toward you. Think about what it would mean for him to turn his face away. What would it mean for God to turn his face away from the Israelites? Really, it is one of the most frightening pictures in the Old Testament. There's no more attention. There's no more focus. There's no more blessing. But it's so much more than no more. Isaiah 57 and 17, because of the iniquity of his unjust gain, I was angry. I struck him. I hid my face, the Lord says, and was angry. But he went on backsliding in the way of his own heart. In Ezekiel 39, 23, again later in Israel's history, and the nation shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity because they dealt so treacherously with me. I hid my face from them and gave them into the hand of their adversaries and they fell by the sword. What does it mean when God turns his face away? Devastation, destruction, hopelessness. But the blessing that God gives to these Israelites is he's continually turning his face toward them, always interested, always caring, always tending to you. The promise is an encourager who will never leave. And then finally, and give you peace. 
and give you peace. You have on the one hand his provision and his face always shining on them and that relationship always going on. And on the other hand, total fulfillment, peace. Again, it's a big word. It's a big word that we, we can turn into something that's very normal. Or we'll use it so much as to say there might be some peace between nations. Or we'll say that there's no peace in politics. Or we'll say those kinds of things. But peace, give you peace. When it comes to Scripture, I think that you could turn to Psalm 23 and think about the peace that Psalm 23 captures. Begins the Lord, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside still waters, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Notice this for just a moment. Not only is the Lord the shepherd, the protector, the guardian, but he provides all that could ever be want. All that could ever be needed, he provides it. And these sheep are able to lie down in green pastures. And these sheep are led by still waters. And these sheep only go where the shepherd himself has walked. But it's more than that. If you jump down to verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Can you imagine that for just a moment? That green pasture isn't empty. Those still waters aren't just being taken by the sheep alone. There's enemies all about. But because the Lord is there, they can eat a meal in the midst of enemies. They can eat a meal in the midst of enemies. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. The section here opens in Numbers tw uh, 6 in verse 24 with a big word. The Lord bless. And it closes with a, a big word. The Lord give you peace. I say all these things simply for us to consider this, this wasn't written for us. This was a specific blessing to the Israelites for a specific purpose for a specific time. But two takeaways I want you to think about for just a moment. Number one, doesn't this paint a picture of a God who is eager and ready to bless God delights in blessing. He delights in fellowship. Again, who's the command from? It's to the priest for them to request that God bless the people. And God in turn says, they sure are my people. And my name is on them and I will bless them. God is a gracious giver and he is ready and excited to bless. But number two, every single one of these ideas is fulfilled and perfectly fulfilled 
in Jesus. Ephesians 1.3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Isn't that blessing? How about Romans chapter 8? Romans 8 is that big section of Scripture that everyone, again, if you want to talk about uh, unknowns and knowns in an unknown book, Romans is one of those places that you can go to. Romans 8 and verse 31. What shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring charge against uh, God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it who uh, is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who is raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. There's protection. We're more than conquerors because of Christ Jesus, our Lord. 1 John 1, 1 to 3 talks about relationship, doesn't it? How, how John, an old aged man, would simply say that which we have fr- uh, from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked upon, what we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, it was made known. And we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and made it made manifest to us, that was made known to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. You have blessing from Christ. You have protection because of uh, blessing that comes from Christ. You have protection that comes from Christ. You have relationship that is found in Christ. Romans 8 and verse 1, there is therefore no, now no condemnation, condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, grace. John 16, 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. You want to talk about a comforting encourager? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. In Ephesians 2, Ephesians 2 and verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the fleshly hand, uh, made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you are at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without, our, uh, without God in the world. 
But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, he is brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile to both, uh, both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For, the, uh, for through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so that you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. By the way, the text continues on saying, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows in the, in the two, a holy temple in the Lord, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his face upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. You know what his name means? It means ownership. It means ownership. This blessing for a people who for their entire lives grew up knowing nothing but slavery. And seeing the mighty hand of God deliver them from the Egyptians. And see his provision in the wilderness and the blessings that he has given. And to enact a way that they could come before him and have a presence and a fellowship in his midst. It was all so he could bless them. This morning God wants to bless you too. You know, as Christians, God has given us his best. We already read that in Romans 8. He gave us his son. Won't he also freely give us all things? He's blessed us extravagantly with his son. Sometimes life is hard. A lot of folks in this auditorium have been reminded of that recently, and a lot of folks that are at home watching have been reminded of that recently. Jesus really did say it best, in the world you have tribulation. But he says it best because he says, I've overcome the world. I've overcome. If you're not a Christian... It really is important to know that God gave his only son for you. Now Isaiah 53 would say it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Pleasure would become something from the death because of the death that Jesus would accomplish. A sacrifice big enough to cover those things that would separate us, that would turn away his face. Through Jesus' death and through his resurrection... We can have life eternal.
in his presence, with his face shining. Through faith, repentance, and baptism, one comes to God, the God who delights in blessing, who says, you tell the Israelites, the, 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 the priests, to tell the Israelites this blessing so that I can bless them because I want to bless them. He delights in blessing. He rejoices in saving. And he loves each and every one. The question is simple. Can we help you this morning? We want to pray for you. We want to pray with you. But most of all, we want to do whatever we can to help draw you nearer to God. The great blesser. Our great king. Come forward as we stand and sing.